Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. You, Lord, are our hope and our King. How we come before you today, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness and how we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. We ask forgiveness for how we have sinned against our neighbors. God, and we ask that you would teach us to love, not merely tolerate, but love those who set themselves against us as enemies. Lord, teach us to desire salvation for all people to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we just heard in the scripture reading, we, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to continually devote ourselves to the teachings of the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. We want to be a people of prayer. We want to be a people of the word. We want to be a people of fellowship in Christ. God, we want you to continually add to your church every day. Remind us what we do and what we say has eternal consequences, Lord. Father, we pray as you command us to pray in 1 Timothy 2 for our leaders. We pray for our president, Joe Biden, that you would reveal yourself to him so that he knows that you are the one true God. We ask if he needs it, to humble him as you humbled Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, so that he could proclaim that you alone are God. Lord, we ask for other leaders in our nation, locally, statewide, nationwide, around the world, grant wisdom. We ask that you would humble the proud. Leaders and positions for purposes that we may not know. We trust that you are in control. Lord, we also lift before you our missionaries in Argentina, Carlos and Liz Canete. We ask that you would give them a continued endurance as they, as they minister to the pastors and the people there in um, the area and they are in, and I'm going to say it wrong, but Renacada. Holy Spirit, we ask that you administer to the children as they head in the back for Children's Church, Lord. We thank you that we have children here and, and they can freely hear the word proclaimed and we can have them read here, Lord, and they can proclaim your word. Or we thank you for those that are willing to serve in the back and I pray that they know how important that role is and that you would guide parents here to continue the ministry that they have here, beginning here, and continue that at home, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and our minds, and we ask that you would transform our lives. Lord, I ask that you would give me strength, give me a clear mind, so that I can proclaim your word boldly. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. 
Don't sound so excited. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> no, I'm glad. They are excited to get back there. Well, good morning, church. I don't know how many of you have experience in basic training in the military or have even watched it online. It's quite the sight. What you get, though, is this, um, you get this great picture from chaos uh, to uniformity. It, it is insane right in the beginning. Um, I remember arriving at basic training, and we were on the bus, and they start yelling for you to get off the bus, and we're this eclectic group of, of people, and there's long hair, there's short hair, there's baggy pants, there's cowboy boots, there's, there's uh, yelling and picking our bags up and setting your bag down and picking your bag up and setting your bag down because you can't do it right for some reason. Some couldn't do push-ups. Marching was a joke. Running was always very difficult. Um, it was chaos in the beginning. But as the weeks go on, uniforms are issued and we start looking alike and our haircuts look the same and marching starts to look uniform and um, it all just starts to become second nature. Push-ups, you get really good at that. Um, even as together as a whole unit, you, you get good at that. And the flights become homogenous. And it becomes what you think about when you, when you think about the military. And they're a unit with one goal, one focus. And that focus is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. To bear true faith and allegiance to the same. To obey the orders of the President of the United States and the officers appointed over them according to the regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help them God. In last week's sermon, we saw that the, uh, the main idea was the gospel. It engages your mind, it exposes your heart, and it transforms your life. The sermon here today, what we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, is that transformed life. It starts to transform. It, starts, it goes from chaos to uniformity. It starts looking like, we start looking like Christ. You see, when we enter the Christian life from a thousand different places and different ideas, some come from religious homes, some never stepped foot in a church before. Some were addicts, some were felons, some were young, some were old. In the beginning, belief is difficult. The songs are strange. The people are even stranger. <laughs> but we start looking like Christ. We start to focus on Jesus. We start to do what he calls us to do. You see, once we become the people of God, we realize that the Lord builds his kingdom through the transformed lives of the believers. So this morning, we're going to see how believers are transformed in devotion, how those transformed lives reveal the kingdom of God to those around us, and how the Lord himself builds his kingdom. So first, we're going to look at how believers are transformed in devotion, if you will, I want you in the word with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Grab it. It's yours if you don't have one at all. Let's read the passage, looking at verse 42. And they devoted themselves. We're going to stop, okay? We're going to stop. We got four words in here. 
We need to figure out what does devotion look like? What does this word devotion mean? Translated, it can be translated attached oneself to, to wait upon, to be faithful to, to hold fast to something. The idea is when you're devoted to something, you spend all your time and your energy and your money and your passion on this this person or this thing or this idea. I'm devoted to my wife. One flesh, that's what we are. That's what the Bible tells us we are. I'm faithful to her. I stand ready to serve her and she takes all of my money. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't have any anyway. It's... But we're devoted to each other. We, we, we stand ready to be together and, and serve each other. And that's, it's important also to note that devotion not only means that, but this word here means they continually devoted themselves to. This isn't a, a one-time deal. It's not even a once a month or once a week or once a year thing. It was a continual devoting to this thing. To the church, to what we see here in verse 42. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So, first, they devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. The apostles had been, they have 12 of them had been established as the authority from Jesus Christ himself. They're the authority figures in the church, they're installed by Christ, we see in Luke 6. And when the day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. If you look at Acts 1.8, you can just, I have to flip back, maybe you don't. Jesus tells the the 11 there, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are ones that spent time with Jesus too. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all of this time. So they needed to be with them all the time when Jesus went in and out among them. Beginning at his baptism until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us witnesses to his resurrection. So they have the authority that Christ gave to them to proclaim this message of the gospel. And their message is confirmed by these signs and wonders. Look at our text today in in Acts 2.43. And all came upon every soul, and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So they're doing these wonders and signs, and that's a that's confirming the message that Jesus gave to them. And this isn't new in Acts. We see this in Exodus when Moses, God says, you need to go to my people and you need to tell them that I'm God, I'm Yahweh, and they're going to follow you out and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he says, how am I going to do that? And he gives him signs and wonders to establish that he is the authority to proclaim that message. You see it in Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 18 so that he can establish his message as God's messenger. And through these signs and wonders, Jesus is revealing that these apostles are the men that are carrying his message to the world, and they're going to give it to others. So we need to ask ourselves, it says in our text, and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what would they have been teaching? They would have taught the Old Testament. That's what they had, right? 
And they would have said, not only this is the Old Testament and we're going to do what we've always done, but they're going to show how it connects to Jesus Christ. Because that's what he shows them at the end of his life, after he's resurrected. And he's walking with them with the road to Emmaus. And he says to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they would have pointed to the Old Testament and said, look at, this is all, we've been waiting for the Messiah and this Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for. He tells them again later on, and these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything that was written in about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He would have shown them all of scriptures pointing to Jesus Christ, to this moment that the Messiah comes. And they would have taught everything that he told them to teach. We know the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them what? All that I have commanded you. They would have taught the kingdom of God. We see in Acts 1-3, Jesus is resurrected and he talks to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. They would have proclaimed his life and death and resurrection and ascension. That's what we see as they proclaim the, in Peter's message and Paul's messages throughout the rest of the Bible. They would have proclaimed repentance and baptism. And the believers, they devoted themselves to these teachings continually. They were asking questions They were wrestling with the idea that this is Jesus, is the Messiah, and and wrestling, how does this connect all through the scriptures? Day after day, this teaching was on their minds. It was their discussion over their, their meals. It was the breath of fresh air in their prayers. This was their hope. And it was finally realized. This is the realization of what God desired in Deuteronomy. This is the Shema. That's Luke. This is Deuteronomy. And they would have, the Jew would have said this every day. Still say this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Did not Jesus teach that? And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Always. These words should be on your mouth. And that's what's going on here in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're still to be continually devoting ourselves to these teaching. As a pastor, I'd better... I better be devoting myself to the teaching of the apostles or I will be found guilty, not before you, but before God Almighty. We live in an age of privilege, church. 
You can pick up a Bible. You can take one from the back of these chairs. You can go to Lost and Found and take one that's better. You can, you can download it on your Bible. I saw just, just yesterday um, the Version app, the Bible app, 500 million downloads around the world. 500 million downloads. We live in a time of privilege. We can talk about the Bible in the United States openly in a coffee shop. We have no reason to be continually devoting ourselves to not be continually devoting ourselves to the word of God. We are so easily, we devote ourselves to sports and and TV and, and video games and books and shopping and good grades and promotions or whatever you want to fill in the blank that you can devote your time to. But can we say, I am continually devoting myself to the teaching of the apostles? And if not, why? Why am I not doing so? And my question is, how can I help you? I'm not condemning you here. I'm encouraging you because I want you in the Word. Like, I get it. I understand how hard it is to be in the Word every day. And I get paid to do it. The Word. I want you, I want to help you to be in the Word. Because the Word is truth. It's life. It's what we need. So coupled with devotion to the apostles' teaching comes devotion to the fellowship. He says, so they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship. When we think of fellowship, at least I grew up Southern Baptist, I think fried chicken almost immediately. Luncheons, coffee, conversation, that's what we think of. The Greek word that it comes from means commonality. So the language that was spoke during the time, the common Greek language is called Koine Greek uh, because it was the common language of the day. We see in verse 44, if you will, look at the text with me. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Same root word, common. You've heard koinonia, that's the fellowship. So what's being expressed here? is the early believers, they devoted themselves to the community with whom they shared a commonality. And that commonality was Jesus Christ. He's the unifying factor of all of these nations that come together in him. John expresses the same desire in uh, 1 uh, 1 John 1, 3 and 4. He's just opening his letter and he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So that's the, uh, the teaching of the apostles that we saw here. Why does he do it? So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. His desire in preaching is that they would hear the word and be brought together in Christ. So what does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship? It doesn't mean you can never have an unbelieving friend again. Paul actually says you need to leave the world to get away from that. So it doesn't, it's not going to happen. What it means is we need Christian fellowship. We need encouragement. We, you may work with non-believers, play sports with non-believers, have non-believers in your home, but you need to surround yourself with those you share Christ Jesus. 
We see this in Ecclesiastes. As, as Solomon's writing this wisdom, two, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward, reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. One of my brothers that I have fellowship with sent me this. As a reminder, we need each other. We need to encourage each other. Our lives as believers should be transformed into desiring the fellowship of those who believe like we believe. Before our devotion, was, it was centered on ourselves and our ideas and our desires and what we want. But as Christians, we're transformed in Christ and now we desire to be around those who have the same idea, the same mission. We want to fulfill the Great Commission together. That's our desire. We need them around us so that we can be in the Bible together. So that we can confess sin to each other and, and, and pray for each other and encourage each other and disciple each other and be discipled by each other. Are you devoted to the fellowship? Do you want to be devoted to the fellowship? If you do, do me a favor. There's a white piece of paper somewhere, probably in the back of the chair. Write down your name and how I can contact you and say, I need fellowship. And I will get you plugged in. That is my desire to to have this, devoting ourselves to apostles' teaching and fellowship. You can't do the Christian life alone. It's impossible. We're not created that way. We'll be pulled away. And those of you online, please don't cut yourself off from the body of Christ. If you're able to get to church, if you're able to get to a Bible study in person, do it. We are commanded to not neglect the meeting together as saints. We need to hear each other singing. We need to hear each other reading the word. I need to sit by someone who is struggling. I know they're struggling and hear them proclaiming 10,000 reasons why I can continually praise the Lord. Verse 46 says, day by day, they continually attended the temple together. Same word as devoting themselves. Continually devoting themselves to the temple. So then believers are devoted to apostolic teaching. Believers are devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. We like this, right? We get to devote ourselves to eating. I believe what this means is a common meal that included the Lord's Supper. It's definitely argued among theologians. But if we look at the text, it says they were breaking bread together. And then we go to verse 46 and it says they were attending day by day the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It involved receiving food. It it involved a common meal. Breaking bread literally meant eating together in that time. 
Later on in Acts 20, verse 7, uh, this same kind of meal takes place on the first day of the week. That would have been Sunday when we were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and so on. But because it took place on the first day of the week, more than likely it had the Lord's Supper involved in this. And later on, the second century, breaking of bread is meant to proclaim, or uh, the word will come eventually, it involved the Lord's Supper. That's what the word was used for. So why is that important? Why would they devote themselves to eating together and taking the Lord's Supper together? Sharing a meal in that time was a lot more than just sharing a meal. It was a recognition of friendship. It was a recognition of agreeing together. We agree on this thing or, or we are friends. So the early church was continually devoting themselves to this, even the most common thing like eating together. And this fed fellowship. And they were taught. And they took the Lord's Supper together and they prayed together. Church, it's important that we understand that devoting ourselves to Jesus as Lord means we're devoting ourselves to his body, which is the church. We're called to be in fellowship. But not just on Sunday. This is this is. More common than that. We're called to be together even in the mundane things like eating together. Because it's in the mundane, it's in the common, that's where trust is built. Like you on this side of the church, you're not building trust with these on this side of the church. You're not even talking, you you probably won't talk to each other. Maybe you will now. But trust is grown In the mundane, where we share life together, we share our struggles together, we break down and cry together, we read and and pray, share our struggles and pains and joys. And this can take place over something as simple as a meal, the breaking of bread. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Because the definite article, I'm not going to get grammar uh, nerdy on you, but because it says the prayers and not just prayers in general, it probably meant specific prayers like uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Jewish prayers that would, they would have known and recited or like what we see in, in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, they, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So it it more than likely meant those, but more importantly than what those prayers were, we can figure that out and we can do that. We don't, it's not, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. We don't have to figure out what those prayers were. It's just saying, Luke is pointing out the fact that the early church was devoted to prayer. This is the expectation of Jesus in Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, he says. He's not if you pray, when you do. It's reflected in the early church. It's opened up in every one of Paul's letters almost that he opens up with how he's praying. Paul tells Timothy to, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He prioritizes prayer in the church. 
And we're only in chapter 2 in Acts, and we've seen it's just bathed in prayer. We have to devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer is the admission that God is able and we are not. That he can save and we cannot. That he can heal and we cannot. That he can establish his kingdom and we cannot. Prayer is a humble act. It's a crying out to our king. Will you act? It's an intimate thing. It's Abba, Father. It should be the first thing we do when we wake up. It should be the last thing we do before we fall asleep. Prayer should be accomplished in our rooms with the door closed where we cry out to the Lord. It should be before others in fellowship. It should be at the table when we eat. It should be between two friends as you cry and mourn together. It should be done without ceasing. Are you devoted to prayer? Do you pray faithfully? Do you pray for wisdom? Do you pray in the middle of your argument? Do you pray in your joy? Do you pray in your sorrow? Instead of telling people you are going to pray for them, why don't you just stop and pray? Church, we have to devote ourselves to prayer. And as we devote ourselves to these areas, we grow as the body of believers. And our transformed lives start to reveal the kingdom of God to the people around us. They had all things in common. This is not communism. (laughs) It's been used to defend communism. It doesn't mean that everyone had to share everything. It didn't mean that. Communism is a government ideology that uh, forces or attempts to force commonality. But it's not the heart of the gospel. The Christian life is transformed, not into this legalistic, you have to share things or you're not a Christian, but into a life that desires to take care of people. That's what we see in this passage. That's what we see. They are selling, they had, let's go to verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They desired to take care of one another. They had all things in common. They were united in Christ. But they were also saying the stuff that we have is not more important than the people around us. The racial tensions are dissolved. Social status is not exalted. It's not important anymore in the church. And what rises to the top is this beautiful picture of the kingdom. It's a glimpse of what we see in Revelation 7. John says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the kingdom of God is revealed in the teaching of the apostles. 
as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. They're telling the grand story of redemption and the kingdom narrative. They're saying it started way back in Genesis and God had always planned to save his people. And this is how you can be part of the kingdom. And this is what the kingdom looks like. It reveals what the king looks like in Jesus Christ. What people of the kingdom look like. What the hope of the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is revealed in fellowship. Jesus says in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The kingdom of God is revealed by our love for one another. When the Jew loves the Gentile, when white loves black, when the Turk loves the Kurd, the kingdom is shown. When rich loves poor, the kingdom is seen. When Republican loves Democrat, the kingdom is seen. When we take care of our enemies and our our friends and the homeless and the hurting, the kingdom of God is seen. And the kingdom of God is revealed through the breaking of bread. Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. We're proclaiming and are eating together. We're one in Christ. We're People see that. This eclectic group of people are one in Christ. And the kingdom of God is revealed by our love for one another. I already said that. But get this. This hit me so hard yesterday. The breaking of bread is the picture of what's coming in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Something as simple as eating with my brothers and sisters in Christ, spaghetti, is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, these are the true words of God. Blessed, when we eat with Christ, we're going to be eating with other believers, That's a picture every time we eat with others and we rejoice in the Lord and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're seeing just a glimpse of the wedding supper of the Lamb. How does that change your view of something simple as eating together? Eating with brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is also revealed in prayer. We freely and openly get to converse with the King of Kings, with the Alpha and the Omega, with the Creator, the Sustainer. We get to bring all of our wants, our desires, our struggles to Him. We get to bring each other's wants and struggles and desires to Him. 
It's a picture of the kingdom of God, that we're coming to him, and we get to freely do so. And Jesus is interceding for us, and the Holy Spirit is praying with us. It's a picture of our utter dependence on the Lord to undo the effects of sin. And as our lives are transformed, the Lord builds his kingdom through his church. One commentator, he writes, as the message of salvation was proclaimed and the disciples testified to its truth in every facet of their lives, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to read it again. I want you to read it, or don't read it out loud with me, but look at it. As the message of salvation was proclaimed and the disciples, that's us, testified to the truth of the message being claimed in every facet of their lives. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The Lord builds his kingdom through the transformed lives of believers. The Lord builds his kingdom through the apostolic preaching. This is the primary way he builds his kingdom. People need to hear the word. As the church meets, I'm going to proclaim to you the good news of Jesus Christ. As we go out, you are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And no one can hear of Jesus without you telling them the word. The lost need to hear their identity. You are created in the image of God. But you're broken in sin. And you can't fix yourself. You need a savior. You need Jesus Christ. This is your hope. And it has to come through the preaching of Jesus Christ. We can't just be really good and and hope people get that message. The Lord also builds his kingdom through the fellowship. As we come together, people see the coming together of races, of political ideologies, of gangsters and grandmas and addicts and agnostics. They see us coming together and they say, what is going on? Why are they joining in one building and they're not fighting and they're not tearing each other apart? How are they united? And we can say, because Christ unites us. But church, I honestly think the Christian church does a really poor job here. I've, in my own self, am convicted of, of how we, in the last, just in the last two years, have been divided over the silliest stuff. And the world sees and they're like, yeah, their hope is no different than mine. Instead of coming together in Christ, we divide. Republicans and Democrats divide. Vaccinated and non-vaccinated divide. Masked and, and maskless divide. There's no bearing with the weaker, brother. And it reminds me of Matthew, and he says, in the end, The love of many grow cold. And I don't want that to be said of us. I want it to be that Christ unites. We should never be able to look at one whom Christ looked at from the cross and said, you're mine. And say, 
you're a hypocrite or a liar or a weakling or a bully or you're not a believer, obviously. We should never say those things. It should be said of us that they had all things, all who believed were together and had all things in common. The world should look at us and say, I know, I know they don't agree. I know the people in that building do not agree. But man, they love each other. I don't get it, but they love each other. We can change here. We can pray. We need to pray. The universal church needs to pray here. The Holy Spirit will grant us love for people inside and outside the church. The Lord also brings, builds his kingdom through the breaking of bread. The Lord draws to your table at home believers and non-believers, I hope. And at that table, you should be showing them the love of Christ. How he's changed you. And the Spirit will work through your hearts, through your desires, through your desire for people to be in the kingdom. And as they observe that, and as we observe the Lord's Supper together, they see that we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And God builds his kingdom. And finally, he builds his kingdom through prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, First of all, I urge, this is Paul writing to Timothy, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we, as a church, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, he says. It is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we pray for the lost, our heart turns to them in love and not hate. We will desire that they hear the gospel. We'll desire that the Lord will draw them in. And we'll desire that he would change our hearts so that we would tell them that. This is the power of prayer, that God will change people's hearts. That we acknowledge, I can't change your heart, unbeliever, but I know God can save anyone. We don't build the kingdom. The Lord builds the kingdom. And we get to be part of that. The message this morning is primarily for the church for believers to get up and live for the king. That is what we should see in this passage. But if you're here and you say, I'm, I'm not part of that kingdom, but I want to be part of that kingdom, I want you to be part of that kingdom. Come and we'll pray. But church, we should look at this and ask, am I continually devoting myself to the apostles' teaching? Am I continually devoting myself to the fellowship? Am I continually devoting myself to the breaking of bread? Am I continually devoting myself to the prayer? And if not, now is the time to repent. Today is the day to wake up from your slumber and devote yourselves to the king of the kingdom. Because he is 
gracious. He's gentle and lowly. He forgives and he turns us toward him. That's what he's doing as he cuts our hearts with the word. May it be said of us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we acknowledge that we can't do this perfectly. Perfectly. And you know that. That's why you sent your son to do this perfectly. We, we ask for you to change our hearts. That we would more and more reflect Christ in your kingdom to those around us. That we would long and desire for people to come into the kingdom. God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We are so easily distracted by the things around us. We're so easily distracted by headlines and opinions. And God, I just pray that we would slow down, remember who you are, that you're in control, that we would slow down and remember that you are changing us. We're not perfect yet. And we'll slow down and remember that those who are lost don't know you. They're not going to look like you. Just give us a desire to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541 756 2591 or email us at pray at housercurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.